Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. No special deals whatsoever with any sodas. Uh, no, none whatsoever. Um, but if you have a special soda that you want to be pushed with aggression, we would, we would <laughs> gladly do that. I'll tell you what, you know what? We are not too proud to beg. Speaking of aggression, I splashed Mountain Dew on my laptop. <laughs> That's a second. <laughs> <laughs> that was an aggressive opening all right <laughs> right um uh so here we go let's uh preambling number 60 how how many is it now 66 i believe is it 66 oh boy um my gosh time flies when you're talking endlessly about nothing um <laughs> <laughs> we uh of course this is preambling the our uh, weekly yeah it is 66 um our weekly you know we're two-thirds evil um where our weekly-ish we mostly weekly show where we talk about uh life current events and read a book um and so uh you know um this week, I, I'm going to draw attention to something. You know, I'm going to draw attention specifically to my my bookshelf that I have. Uh, I finally have a background after all these years of watching Jeff with his book background uh, looking so much better than me. I finally have a background. Uh, you know, I have, I have some some wood carvings that uh, I didn't make them. Let's be clear about that. I didn't make them. Uh, a dear brother from uh, from my last church uh, made this one, and it's hard to see it. Um, it's a it's a it's a carving of, of a cross with a door in front of it, and it says, "Until God opens the next door, praise Him in the hallway." I don't know if that's a saying. Um, I just saw that. I thought it was sweet, a pretty cool thing, and I uh, I wanted you know, I thought it looked cool. It was in my office, but of course now this is my office, so. Uh, you know, it's here. Um, and I've got this, this little, this little hand that I bought from, uh, um, a brother in, in Jerusalem in, in Israel. Um, of course it's for Palm Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Uh, I believe that the cup right here that also is from Israel. Um, this right here is my black Panther issue. Number three, I believe. Yeah, three from the Marvel Knights Black Panther uh, run uh, by Christopher Priest, who is my fav- one of my favorite writers, and this is my favorite comic run. And my 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 sister is funny. My my sister she for her for her um, honeymoon uh, part of it she went to a, a con up in in Minneapolis, and uh, she she didn't she did a very good job of hiding this from me. It didn't tell me that. She told me about all the people she met at the at the convention, but she didn't tell me that my favorite writer, my favorite comic writer, uh, Christopher Priest, was there, and uh, and she got it signed, and in fact told her told him that uh, I was his is uh, that he was my favorite writer, and he wrote you know for Josh, and and uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, one of my favorite things that I own. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll probably I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to display some of my other things that I like. Like I've got a signed issue of Isom that I want to get up there. Isom number one, I mean, that I want to get up there. Um, but uh, it's great because like you can't see it off camera. But like, okay, so on this side, which I worked very hard on to get, uh, and I had a little bit of a low-key mental breakdown because my shelves started falling off the walls and I have books everywhere, and I started freaking out a little bit. Uh, over here, I've got my like wall of really good books. I like these books. Um, I don't actually know. Yeah, yeah. Not all of them are showing up on camera. So I've got like my, uh, my Matthew Henry commentaries, which are um over there like i got them from from my my aunt she just had them sitting around her house she's like would you be interested in this yeah yeah give them all to me i'll take them all <laughs> and it's pretty cool um then i've got a lot of my my greek and hebrew study and intro to intro to the bible study this is kind of my bible wall and my bible wall is actually kind of well organized with like commentaries and stuff like that over here is my systematic theology wall and you can't see it. You can see a little bit of it right here. But all of them look that way. <laughs> all of the shelves look like this, which is a, a mess. And so I'm about half organized in here. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, starting to come along. The first thing I, I prioritized was my stream setup. I wanted to make sure that, it, you know, everything was ready to go. Um, so that we could, uh, stream once and then fall asleep for another week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's kind of cool. I got, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, we're getting settled in slowly, but surely. Um, uh, South Dakota and cap is, 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 is coming along nicely. Uh, well, I, I did, I did notice just a hint of Boston cap there. You think you're better than me? <laughs> it's, it's very much yep, yep. It's uh, yep. Back to it. Uh, but yeah, we're we're here. Uh, we're here to uh, talk about current events, and uh, and there's there's. It's interesting because there's a no lot going on in the world. Than you setting up your bookshelf. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world, but I've I've been pretty. Honestly, just getting used to living in a new place, working a new job where I'm standing around all the day working for a um a uh, unmentioned uh empire that's that's apparently really good at everything except for making Lord of the Rings shows. Um Correct. And uh <laughs> but but we're uh but yeah, like uh it, there are things apparently going on in the world and and one thing that um one thing that, that Jeff has been keeping a very close eye on um, is that um, Canada, um, they're going, whatever the opposite of green is, uh, that's, that's what you guys are starting to go? Yeah, yeah. We, we've got the, the, the uh, uh, magically shrinking carbon tax. Um, <laughs> or did we go with the magical disappearing carbon tax? Either, Either way. Either way. Um, so, uh, okay, we might as well get into the clips. So I'll set up the first clip by saying this clip is of our now familiar friend, uh, Scratching Greasy Toe. Um, and, uh, and he is responding to whether they will 
make any sort of special deals, any sort of exceptions, any any sort of exemptions for Alberta, Alberta and Saskatchewan, actually, Alberta and Saskatchewan, which cannot meet their clean electricity mandates that they're planning on rolling out. Um, yeah. And so this is three days before another decision will be made. Um, uh, where uh, um, Grease Trap Miss Craxton here uh, is uh, uh, it, he he has strong opinions on whether whether there can be exceptions to a climate plan. So let's let's start off with that. Okay. So so what are we we're we're we're, uh, we're gonna watch this video. We're gonna see what we see, huh? Yes. So let's make sure that my audio is on. But there will be no carve out for a province. How fair would it be for 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 the rest of the federation? First of all, can I just say something before we even? I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let him have a say. But first, um, obviously, obviously, this guy is very concerned about limiting the use of oil. Because all of it's going into his hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so uh, what's what's his first name again? Uh, not naming it's Stephen. <laughs> Steve, yeah. So Stevie Gillibolly, uh, you know, he he's 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 concerned about everyone else whether or not they can use oil because he needs to put it all in his hair. Uh, and th- what what is that shirt? My goodness. Does that have meaning? It has to have meaning because it looks stupid. Oh, I it looks almost as stupid as his hair and beard combo. I think this is orange shirt day. That shirt doesn't look particularly orange in this clip, but I think that's for orange shirt day, which is what does uh, that mean? Uh, um, Phyllis, I forget her last name. Uh, little girl uh, was not allowed to wear her orange shirt at a residential school, and it's it's um, it's kind of the way that residential school the residential school system is introduced to young children um uh as a as a concept that they can get their heads around before you start introducing them to you know death um it's uh this little girl couldn't wear her orange shirt so everyone wears orange shirts and i think rather than wearing an orange shirt he's wearing a suit and has an orange shirt button uh on his suit that's okay that's what looks like it's happening there (laughs) okay all right it's a canada thing that's all you had to say it's an Uh, interesting choice (laughs) but there will be no carve out sorry go ahead no this happened this this happened uh around it had to have been around orange shirt day so okay i'm pretty sure that's what's going on here well, all right. All right, Gillybo. But there will be no carve out for a province. How fair would it be for, for, for the rest of the Federation if we started carving out exception for, for provinces? We didn't do it for pricing. We worked with all provinces to ensure that we had a fair and equitable system when it, come, when it came to pricing. And we will do the same for, for the clean electricity regulations. But- and of course, I think um, the thing that I'm supposed to say is that, yeah, he's right. 
it's not fair if you apply the law selectively. Um, and on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, this, this, that's kind of what we mean by the, the phrase uh, um, uh, anarcho-tyranny, which is that you only apply the law selectively in order to, um, you know, whatever. But also, I hear Murray Rothbard's voice in my ear being like, no, 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 exceptions are the way that we cut away from, we cut right. away those damaging uh, effects of everything you know like this is the way that yeah, we get like when freedom Ron Paul was asked what do you think about the 47 percent of people who don't pay taxes he goes yeah we get those are rookie numbers we got to pump those numbers up and not, right. not 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 exactly what he said because i'm not even sure if that reference existed yet but anyway <laughs> uh, that was roughly what he said <laughs> yeah and that's um yeah but but that's that's the first clip and and so what we're seeing basically what we're saying is as you said these two, like Saskatchewan and Al Alberta, you said they're not capable of meeting this requirement, right? Correct. And why is that? Uh, so mostly because they, uh, we don't have hydro. So you, to, to meet the clean electricity requirements, you would need, um, you would need base load electricity generation. Um, uh, reliable baseload electricity generation that would support bringing on less reliable forms like wind and solar onto onto the system um, with a with a reliable baseload that you could modulate up and down. So if you have hydro, like a lot of other provinces do, then then that's one way of doing it. We have no hydro in Saskatchewan or, uh, or Alberta. Um, you could also do it with nuclear, but because of the regulation of nuclear, probably no chance of us uh, getting nuclear done in the next 12 years either. So we are reliant on natural gas um, to, to be, be something that we can fire up and scale down to provide that base load to offset the unreliability of wind and solar. Right. Um, so um, we have, we, we have just about the most reliable approach to wind and solar you can have. And it's, it, and, and it's just, it's never going to be. Yeah. Uh, it's never going to be enough to power. It's a province of 4 million people that gets right. extremely cold. It's not scalable. That's the big problem with all these, with these, these green energy pushes is that they're not scalable, you know, like that, that they can, like you could probably, and actually I have friends, I have, I had friends that are, 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 um, in our old town who, who basically got off the electrical grid by use of, um, solar. And, uh, I think he had a little bit of hydro, because he, you know, he wanted to get off the grid because the he he called the the local energy company uh, uh, thieves, and he got himself off the grid. So he had a self sustaining house, as far as electricity goes. Um, and I was like goals, like that's kind of my right. dream now. Um, but that's a different thing than like powering an entire city. That's your own yeah. house. 
Um, and, and the truth is, as much as people want to get around it, the only scalable energy source we have so far, there's pretty much two, right? You've got oil and gas or nuclear. Yeah. Or and coal. Apparently, yeah, or coal. But, but apparently coal, the, two of those... Get away from. But apparently none of those are actually... Those are the things that, that like are non-optional, even though nuclear is actually incredibly uh, safe and effective and oh, so, hashtag safe and effective, uh, but uh, in, in clean burning, but no one wants to do that because, of course, you know, there are some risks involved. Let's be real about that, but manageable sure. risks. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's... Um, yeah, yeah, it turns, yeah, it turns out that uh, nuclear is pretty safe as long as you don't combine it with communism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, ultimately, so, what ends up killing people again and again and again is communism, um, which is why they're not people. Um, that's why Pinochet yeah. did nothing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love how I make these little comments and force you to co-sign my radicalism. Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, you're not going to get me to disagree with that one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but, but like, yeah, it's, it's, um, but, but of course, so this is why, but Alberta doesn't have access to some of the ways to balance out, uh, the lack of the attempt to move off of, of carbon, uh, carbon based, uh, or, or, you know, yeah, carbon producing, uh, electrical generation, right? Right. Alberta and Saskatchewan. Alberta and Saskatchewan, um, uh, particularly, just we're we're not going to have a sustainable, reliable grid without mm -hmm. uh, without some sort of CO two intensive production. At least, if we're talking by twenty thirty five, which is when they're talking about. Um, you know, I mean, if it were just Alberta and not the federal regulations, we probably could build nuclear in that amount of time. But the federal regulations are the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that's that's the first clip. We got to be aware of that. So now let's look to that second clip. That you've got a second clip. Yes. Um, no. Okay. Up. Well, then. Okay. So then. Uh, okay. Yeah, give us give us the background then, of this one. Yeah. Then three days after this, um, the federal liberals who are getting absolutely creamed in the polls right now, they're just it's looking absolutely hopeless for them. And one of their only ways to even possibly battle back to a majority would be to go back to a situation where they're sweeping the uh, easternmost provinces again. Um, uh, that the, uh, the four smaller uh, provinces to the east of Quebec, um, if, they can, if they can basically run the table out there, or at least run the table of anything that's ever been competitive out there. Um, which actually that 
I think that's pretty much running the table. Um, then, then they're back in potentially, potentially saving a lot of other things would have to go right, but you know, you squint hard enough and you, and you start to see a, uh, Atlantic provinces, uh, uh, strategy, uh, reveal itself uh here and so so three days after they said absolutely no carve outs and and remember what um uh uh remember uh what uh spleen stream vinaigrette said um about uh <laughs> about this was that that uh that he said we didn't make any exceptions when we rolled out the carbon pricing. That's what the rest of us would call a carbon tax. Uh, when we rolled out the carbon pricing uh, system, we we didn't make we didn't make any exceptions. We made sure that everything was fair and equitable, which is not totally true, by the way. Quebec got a better deal than everybody else when they when they rolled that out. Funny how that works. Yep. Uh, but um. But uh, he said, yeah, we made no exceptions when uh, uh, when we rolled out the uh, carbon pricing scheme. And then actually, uh, I rank up if you can go to um, if you can go to our chat, I, I, I actually want you to throw up a chart on on screen real quick, um, because then they announced that they were exempting home heating oil from from the carbon tax for the winter so the idea being they don't want people to have to choose between heating their homes and uh uh and potentially cause death from the carbon tax going into the winter the carbon tax has gone up going into this winter um and so Oops. they uh uh so they they said that they would exempt okay uh exempt home heating oil and what i just gave you is a chart of home heating oil as a share of a residential primary heating source um, okay and you might notice a a bit of a pattern as to uh who uses home heating oil and who doesn't okay so Canada. pei what would that be prince edward island so that would prince be edward in island. atlantic province okay um, NS would be Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. And that would be Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Or Newfoundland and Labrador, I guess. Newfoundland, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Newfoundland NB, and Labrador. Yep, right. Blah, 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 blah. And NB uh, <laughs> would be uh, New Brunswick. New Brunswick. QC, Which is also, uh, the also the most Quebec. conservative uh, of the Atlantic provinces. And okay. interestingly enough, uses the least home heating oil. Yeah. Um, QC would be well, Quebec, Owen would be yeah. Ontario, and yes. B British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Alberta, 0%. So what does that mean? Uh, so what does that mean to us? For this Home heating oil is actually a rather carbon-intensive way of heating your home during the winter. Okay. So... Uh, so in Alberta and Saskatchewan, at least, and I think also Manitoba, I think the reason we're at 0% is because we use natural gas 
to heat our homes in the winter, sure. which is less carbon intensive than home e heating oil. But home heating oil oh. is being exempted and natural gas is not. So there the are exceptions, huh? It looks like there might be exceptions. And, and it, it looks seems like, like those exceptions are, are not affecting. They're expecting some specific provinces, aren't they? Yeah, it seems like specific provinces are affected by this exception indeed. Interesting. So, so this next clip is when asked about that, how do you explain the uh, seeming correlation between, you know, value to the liberals in the coming election and <laughs> being exempted from uh, the carbon tax? This is what another minister of the crown decided to say. Okay. Sorry about that. I have to turn on the volume for our stream. Just to pick up pump on that up, point up, and the possibility up, 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 up. of further uh, amendments to this policy based on issues around affordability. I know that, that both the premier of Alberta and the leader of the opposition in that province uh, posted statements following the decision around home heating oil. Uh, premier Smith said the federal government has decided that one part of Canada with one type of home heating is worthy of a carbon tax break, while those living elsewhere using another type of home heating do not. Is your government open to, uh, because of the affordability crisis right across this country, looking at other carve-outs for other types of home heating in the future? That's a discussion that we'll have down the road when we know that this one is working. But I can tell you, Atlantic Caucus was vocal with what they've heard from their constituents. And uh, perhaps they need to elect more liberals on the prairies so that we can have that conversation as well. With respect, Minister, does that mean because there aren't liberals in the prairies right now that re are representing around the caucus or around the cabinet table that the people of Alberta will have to live a more unaffordable life than the people in Atlantic Canada? Does that seem fair? Fashy, they're going to have the same options. They're going to get the, the doubling of the, of the uh, rural rebate. And then when the program rolls out, they will be able to, to, to uh, afford the oil to heat pump. And trust me, Atlantic Canada, the Atlantic Caucus, came with these options. They presented them to the Prime Minister, they presented them to the Cabinet, and they said, this is what we think will work in rural Canada and in rural Atlantic Canada. We also have a rural caucus. The rural caucus in Ottawa was fully supportive of this, and I'm sure if it works, and it's going to... The overall message here is to put more money in people's pockets and to reduce the impact of our carbon footprint on the country. We all have to do better for our generation, for our grandchildren's generations, and future generations. So let's come to the table with solutions, and I'll challenge anybody to come to the table with a solution of how we can lower our carbon footprint all across the country. How about exempting, uh, uh, exempting, ter uh, what, what, sorry, what do you guys call Natural it? Natural gas. Yeah, or, or exempting, uh, what you call it, your, your, your states, sorry. Oh, province. Province. Yeah, provinces. Yeah. How about exempting provinces? Didn't someone already come up with a solution for that? It's funny how he's like, she's like, I wish someone would come up with a solution. Kind of seems like someone did. But it seems like her solution is maybe if you rubes were to vote for more liberals. Right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Calgary and Edmonton have elected liberals. It's funny. It's, it, it's funny that, but obviously. Obviously, uh, Alberta uh, Alberta is not represented in the rural caucus, 
of the Liberal Party. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seems like not everybody's part of the the Rural Caucus. Interesting. So, hmm. so yeah. Um, it's kind of like our, pe- our people got together and agreed that our solution is the best. Right. What's your problem, guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unbe- unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I think Alberta and Saskatchewan should vote for more liberals if they don't like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's- who will give us, who will give us our answers? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Sorry, but this is, the clip's not over. I gotta let it, let it play out. That's what this is all about, Fatty. But but it's also about responding to concerns around affordability. And again, home heating oil is used primarily in Atlantic Canada. I'm simply asking for provinces that don't rely on that, but are paying a carbon tax on what they do rely on to heat their homes while simultaneously facing an affordability crisis, the same that Atlantic Canadians are. Is your government open to a conversation about helping them out? We're always open to conversations to help all Canadians, Vashi, on the affordable issue, and especially when it is reducing the carbon footprint. That's what we have to do for all families. And again, it is an affordability issue, and this is all about putting money back on... Yeah, we're open to a conversation as long as it's on our terms. Right. <laughs> well, and, 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 and she, she keeps saying, oh, if we can make things more affordable and it also lowers carbon emissions... No, the the tax on home heating oil would have lowered carbon emissions. Lifting the tax on home heating oil definitely is going to raise them. You get a lot more carbon emissions from home heating oil than you do from natural gas. So so the, that's not what's going on here. Like yeah. you're okay with emissions going up. Now, yeah. I will point out that um over the course of the our entire experience with the carbon tax uh canada's emissions have not gone down um and uh uh that's probably just a coincidence because i know that in australia their emissions also did not go down um they're all but one of their national airlines did but but not their emissions um (laughs) uh so i'm not actually familiar with a place that has implemented a carbon tax and seen their greenhouse gas emissions go down. Um, but uh, but on the margin, obviously, if you if you tax home heating oil, um, people will use let if you tax tax the blue blazes out of it, people will use less of it. And and there will be less emissions from at least from that source of emissions. There will be less emissions. The problem is that people will also die. So there's that, right? Like yeah. <laughs> people using less home heating oil when home heating oil is the source they have to heat their homes means that occasionally people are going to die because yeah. they didn't use enough home heating oil. Which one could accuse them of that of being a win-win, you know, like, cause I mean, it's, it's, I'm, we're all supposed to accept this as coincidence that the same people who have a problem with, uh, with overpopulation also happen to be pro environmental regulations that will result in people dying. Um, right. They also just happen to be pro abortion because it's a woman's right, woman's right to choose. Right. 
Um, and they also happen to be for putting a certain drug into everyone's veins. And while we're at it, can I just ask a question on this environmental quick kick? How's that uh, ozone layer doing? Haven't seems like we haven't checked in on it in a while. How's that? How's that hole in the ozone coming along? Anybody checked on that lately? Well, we we uh, uh, we I believe we banned hairspray and that did it. Um, <laughs> I think that's what happened. That, that's that's what oh. that's what I'll do. Yeah, the the only hairspray banning that I'm in favor of is the musical. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm supposed. We're supposed to not notice this again and again and again. Is the science is settled? Just listen to the science. The science, the science, the science, and then we just sort of quietly stop talking about acid rain. Has anyone yep. talked about acid rain lately? Have we been, have we been worried about acid lane rain in the most, I mean, have we, has that been a, a topic of conversation lately? That was the thing that was killing us all. I remember there being whole chapters in my science books when I was, when I was a you know, kid, I remember hearing about acid rain and I'd come home and my dad would tell me that it's all a bunch of uh, baloney. And of course, then I would go back to school and find out that the people who thought that it was all a bunch of baloney. We're just a bunch of baseless conspiracy theorists. Of course, I knew that my dad was a, an actual scientist who actually had to create products for a living. So he actually did science, did real science instead of sitting around in a, in a, you know, sitting around in an academic institution, just trying to get the government to give them more money by scaring the crap out of them. But as we just sort of quietly stopped talking about acid rain. Yeah. And we just quietly stop talking about the hole in the ozone layer. It just kind of quietly goes away. And but like all the while remember, that we're I remember watching the the eighty four uh, Canadian uh, the the Canadian Prime Minister's debates uh, in eighty four, and it was acid rain was like half the debate. It was yeah. remarkable how much it was being talked about in that debate. And I'm like. Oh yeah. Wow. And all the solutions <laughs> that they, they pointed out for it. We didn't do them. Right. Like I'm the only one noticing that. Like, like, are we not noticing the fact that we didn't do anything to fix that problem? And it just quietly went away and in the hole in the ozone layer. Like, like where did that go? No one's talking about that anymore, but I'm still supposed to believe in man-made climate change is this huge problem. Uh, and of course, it's the science is settled. The science is settled. Well, the science was settled on the hole in the ozone layer. The science was settled on acid rain. The science was the science was settled on so many things that I'm supposed to just accept. And and at no point do we acknowledge the fact that this is just this is religious dogma. This is what? Yeah, that's all it is. Like it's just a creed that we repeat over and over again. There's no actual science going on. What you don't understand is is that you that's the reason those things were solved is that you you upgraded from a refrigerator that would last seventy years <laughs> if you got it done to a refrigerator that will last seven years um, if it was if it was made on a, on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> when they really have no style. Uh, and if you yeah, I, and if you create a chalk circle around it and pray to the gods of refrigeration, you know you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. Has no one noticed that every single decision? Like that's like so funny. How while we're supposedly fighting corporate greed in order to save our Earth, it's resulted in us having to spend a lot more money buying things from corporations. Huh. Yeah. Almost like some guy named uh, Murray Rothbard was right, and the corporations are always in bank or always in business with uh, with big government, and big government is not about fighting corporations. Whatever they say, they're actually supporting them. Huh? Yeah. Well, if if big government were actually fighting corporations, then we wouldn't have big government. So that's how you know they're not. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm also a little bit, you know, yeah, I've just, you know, yeah. Again and again, who wins, who wins the billionaires? Who do they claim they're fighting? The billionaires, the people they're fighting are the ones who win again and again, the billionaires in the military industrial complex, the the billionaires who are in manufacturing, they love these. Why do you think, why do you? Why do you think this, okay, so this, this, uh, this organization that I uh, work for, this unnamed small uh, fly-by-night organization, uh, you know, I hear it's based in South America, or that might be something else that's similarly named, um, right. some river. Uh, why do you think they're big on, they love the green agenda? Massive international corporation. Why are they in the green? Why do they care about green agenda? It's because they're just like really, really good people. Is it because I mean, like you, some people will try and say no. It's just fear from the government, uh, whatever. No, they're the ones leading the charge. Why are they doing that? Because they want you to buy more crap. They want you to spend more money on crappy stuff. They can spend less money creating it because it's gonna fall apart, and you're going to have to buy more of it. Yeah, it's 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 so predictable. And again, it happens to be that all of these billionaires also happen to think that they're the world is overpopulated. Coincidence, I'm sure. Uh but that's but that's well, like, that's yeah. It it does make sense that because of the the area that this company is from does get six to ten feet of rainfall a year, uh that the acid rain would be of particular concern to them. And, and that <laughs> yes. that yeah, I mean that's a lot of acid, six to ten feet. Um, that's a lot of acid, so I I can see why they'd be worried. <laughs> yes, uh, it can't be good for the piranha. I'm just I'm just I'm asking people for thirty seconds to stop and notice things. That's just constantly like what 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 we just need to be about. Um, we who are opposing the agenda, we just need to constantly point things out. Um, Dave Smith was on Tim Pool um a couple weeks ago. Where, and, and he talks about again and again how, like, always, 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 people will say, yeah, the libertarians were right about that. The libertarians were right yeah. about that. Libertarians were right about that. He's like, yeah, you, you guys are always giving us the past yeah. successes. But you're, we but were then always when we, right about the last war. Yeah. Just not always, never this Right. We were always right about the last war, about the last big move of government, about the last regulation, about the last law, about the last... 
uh, stomping down of our rights. We were always right about the last one, but you never let us be right about this one. And that's what I'm saying. It's like you just, at some point, can we just look at all of the failures of the science, which I'm which is different than actual science. The science is not science. It's this dogmatic assertion of the high priestly class of scientism. It has been so horribly, aggressively, and human flourishing detrimentally incorrect about everything that they've said ever since Darwin. And so, like, it, when you track back far enough, and this is where what's interesting is, is um, uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was, like, he had written up, a, I, maybe I've talked about this, he had written up this this um, religious exemption letter for his company um, for, yeah. for a jab, and and it was funny because I was like I was reading I was reading it and being like responding to it and being like man okay so I I don't know I was giving him some suggestions but I was like I I just I guess I don't really understand um, I I you know I I was kind of just saying like I don't really know what they're looking for in this. I kind of pointing him in other directions, but I was like, isn't it, is it crazy that they're still requiring a jab for the, uh, for, for COVID-19. And he was like, no, 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 this is the flu one. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. Uh, researching that jab made me suddenly like, is this just what they've always done? And I think that is a, something that is going on right now. There's an awakening that they overreach so aggressively on the COVID jab that it is causing people to rethink literally all of it. The heavy, heavy pushing of this horribly rushed, horribly dangerous jab that they pushed has caused people to say, has it always been this way? Are all of the jabs this way? And honestly, the anti-jab community, and you'll notice I'm very carefully avoiding the actual word because I still don't know what you can get kicked off of YouTube for. Oh, and by the way, if you want to, uh, uh, just, just to let you all know, um, we have set up an, I've set up the Odyssey channel. I will post it in the links. If you want to hop over there, I'm kind of <laughs> gradually because of the way Odyssey works, you have to do it kind of gradually moving your, your, uh, videos over there. Um, but if you could go over there, uh, watch and like, uh, or just, just hit play and mute it and play it in the background while you're doing something else, uh, to get our, to get our boosting our numbers over on there. Um, uh, on Odyssey, we, we would really we appreciate it. Say, download twice, listen once. That's right. Um, and even if you're listening on audio, go over there and, and give us, give us a like and a subscribe to help, help us out there. Um, so that we can be a little more free spoken and not worried about what YouTube does to us. Um, but all, the whole, the, the, honestly, the COVID jab was the best thing for the anti jab community because it started driving everyone over there to be like, I don't trust any of you. And I'm asking for the same kind of skepticism to the rest of the science, especially the climate scientists. People it's like they keep changing their stories quicker than a, uh, a man caught on the couch with another woman, you know, right. That they're, they're changing their stories so fast that, that like we, they're not worthy of your trust. They're not worthy of your belief. 
I mean, same with the propagandists. Like right now, they're trying to get us to go to another war. And if there's always another war they're going to try and talk us into. And it turns out that the Ukraine wasn't good enough, so they're trying to get us to go to war um, on behalf of Israel because they know that there's much more support there. It's always something. And I'm just asking you to remember how many times they're wrong and just know they're wrong this time. That's why I come into these situations doubting the, the official narrative. This is why George Carlin always says, I, I never believe the official, or I never believe anything until the government officially denies it. Right? Like that's, he's so, it's, it's just, that's the way you got to expect it. The media is going to lie to you. The government is going to lie to you and everything they're pushing is wrong. Just accept that truth. And, and just, and I'm going to say again, the root of it all goes back to Darwinism. Like people, I, I, I've said this a few times on Twitter, uh, on the, the, the Twitter account that I, I got nuked at Iowa and cap that, that Twitter no longer uh, exists anymore. Go follow at Iowa and cap reborn. Um, I hear that guy's really cool. Um, and, and thinks a lot of my thoughts, but I said it a lot. Like y'all aren't ready for it. When you, y'all talk about how much, Science has been corrupted in recent years. I'm like, y'all, y'all aren't ready for half of it. It goes all the way back to Darwin. All the way back to when they thought they could leave. They could study creation without acknowledging the creator. It all goes back to that. And so the poisoned root will produce bad fruit every single time. It's not a trust. The science is not trustworthy for that reason. Um, until Christians take back science, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be trustworthy. And, um, but yeah, that was a nice little, um, nice little side rant. Y'all came for something else though. Uh, so there's a third clip set up this third clip. Um, okay. Yes. So let me see. So we've, um, we we've we've heard uh from uh from minister squidzy galahad um <laughs> and uh and and from this new character we're not going to bother naming because i don't think she's going to have a long time on this stage random um, female number three <laughs> yeah um and <laughs> um and uh 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 but okay because this um is because 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 of this rhetoric about well we can't exempt any provinces from the clean electricity regulations uh but just so happens that uh if uh, another set of provinces are basically the only ones that use home heating oil we can exempt home heating oil from the carbon tax. Um, oh, and by the by, I, I will just point out that um, it wouldn't particularly matter to the liberals if, uh, like electorally, at least, if a lot of people did die in the Atlantic provinces because um, you're not allowed to lose seats, even if you lose population. Uh, so fewer people who still vote liberal who who get to send the same number of people to parliament works out just fine uh for the liberals um but uh um but anyway so 
um, because of that imbalance, uh, you know, you've you've been hearing a lot about the separatism burgeoning on the prairies, the this these ideas of secession that are fresh and new, the uh, or see, seemingly fresh and new, the uh, the uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act, which the previous administration in Alberta called nuttier than a squirrel turd, but that which which has uh, which has uh, been adopted and everything. So uh, and and has has uh, already been relatively effective in in restraining the feds. Um, and uh, so. Uh, as I'm sure everyone expected, a uh, this this premier from the prairies um, does rise up with a solution to this problem, and I'm of course talking about Scott Moe, the uh, premier of Saskatchewan, um, and and lightheartedly indicating that maybe my own premier should want to catch up here, uh, but. Okay, I think uh, I think the uh, this from there the uh, Scott Mo clip explains itself. Yeah. Last week, Prime Minister Trudeau announced a three-year exemption on the carbon tax for home heating oil. This exemption is primarily for families in Atlantic Canada, where heating oil is used in forty percent of their homes. In making this announcement, the Prime Minister has effectively destroyed two of the myths that he has created about the carbon tax. First is that the carbon tax is affordable because most Canadians receive more back in rebates than they pay in carbon tax. If that were true, why would he need to remove it as an affordability measure on home heating oil for families in Atlantic Canada? And the second myth is this, that it's a tax that's being applied fairly in all parts of the country based on a set rate per tonne of greenhouse gas emissions. Home heating oil is used primarily in one part of the country and it has higher greenhouse gas emissions than other heat sources, like natural gas, that is used in most Saskatchewan homes. So the Prime Minister chose to make life more affordable for families in one part of the country while leaving Saskatchewan families out in the cold. How is that fair to families here in our province? Where affordability is also an issue, where winters are cold, and where most of us use natural gas to stay warm. And now, a federal minister has said, if people out west want a carbon tax exemption, we should elect more liberals. This is no way to run a country. As premier, I cannot accept the federal government giving an affordability break to people in one part of Canada, but not here. So today, I am calling on the federal government to offer the same carbon tax exemption to Saskatchewan families by extending it to all forms of home heating, not just heating oil. It's only fair to other Saskatchewan and Canadian families. Hopefully that exemption will be provided soon. But if not, effective January the 1st, Sask Energy will stop collecting and submitting the carbon tax on natural gas, effectively providing Saskatchewan residents with the very same exemption that the federal government is giving heating oil in Atlantic Canada. The federal government may say that's illegal, and it's you simply cannot choose to collect and pay your taxes. In most cases, I would agree with that. But it's the federal government that has created two classes of taxpayer by providing an exemption for heating oil. 
an exemption that really only applies in one part of the country and effectively excludes Saskatchewan. As Premier, it's my job to ensure Saskatchewan residents are treated fairly and equally with our fellow Canadians in other parts of the country, and that's what I am doing today. Of course, the real solution would be for the federal government to scrap the entire carbon tax on everyone and everything. But until that happens, it needs to at least be applied fairly across Canada. And that should mean no carbon tax on using natural gas to heat your home this winter in Saskatchewan. I mean, y'all, y'all, I've, I've, uh, I think I've said for a long time that if I were to move anywhere, if things get really bad, uh, in the United States that I would move to Switzerland, Saskatchewan's looking pretty good though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was just like the, I was just, I, I, uh, you had posted that in the chat and I didn't know any of the background. All I saw knew was what he was saying. And I was like unbelievably based yeah unbelievably based that was uh, uh, that was amazing oh wow yeah and and that was even at like he did a great job of as a standalone video that was very persuasive um yeah but if that's the only thing you knew about the issue that would be a very persuasive video um Oh my so, um, and, and, uh, and I also think like, I know part of the January 1st start date is just because it's a, a new calendar year and it makes it simpler accounting wise, I'm sure, uh, for it to start at that time. Um, but I also think it's brilliant as a political matter that you let them pay the higher carbon tax for a little bit of the winter. Yeah. Yeah. And then give them the relief. Oops. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is brilliant. That really is. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, give them a taste of what, of what the liberals wanted you to be paying. And then start of the year, uh, show them, and this is what it's like without their liberals. And the uh, very coldest, tax. the very coldest days are going to be after January first. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. So so you 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 will probably prevent deaths this way. Um, yeah. At least most of them. Um, you, uh, and 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 people can people can just extrapolate for themselves. Okay, it was this expensive. In November and December, the relatively warmer months, uh, as compared to January and February, <laughs> like, uh, and, um, oh, and by the way, the three-year exemption is they're they're giving people three years to phase in heat pumps, um, and heat pumps, uh, the according to the government of Canada, and, and their their product safety regulators themselves, heat pumps don't work after minus 20. So for those of us who regularly get temperatures far below minus 20, 
uh, which, sorry, for Americans, uh, minus 20 is, I can do this. Um, uh, it's roughly um, it's roughly, well, it's roughly plus 20 in, no. Did I do that math wrong? Anyway. Um, yeah, no, it's it's roughly uh, uh, mi minus 20. No, minus 20 would be roughly 10, 10, 10 or 12 degrees uh, in Fahrenheit. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, that's um, uh, so that's uh, well, okay. So first of all, um, I'm now introducing a new, uh, thing into our broadcasting. Uh, I now have set up a chat screen so okay. we can, we can show what, um, Patrick is saying in the chat and he is, oh. by the way, uh, he called me out. Wow. No announcing of going live rude. And he also said, uh, so that's, that's on me, Patrick. Oh, and frankly, because we were watching so many videos, I forgot to check uh, on whether or not Patrick is in the chat. Hey, Patrick. Um, and he says it's negative four is what. The, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. Yeah. I, was, I, was doing, I, was, I, I was doing the math wrong, uh, obviously. Uh, and that, that makes sense. Minus four, uh, actually. Minus four Fahrenheit actually makes a lot of sense. Um, as what minus 20 would be in Celsius. So, um, so yeah, and we regularly get um, minus 40 um, in Alberta. Um, and uh, minus 40 has the advantage of being the same in Fahrenheit and Celsius. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, and, uh, and heat pumps just don't work in that temperature. So, um, so the, the, the solution that's being provided specifically for Atlanta, Canada, is not something that even works out here. Um, being closer to a coast, they don't get the quite as extreme temperatures as we do in our very, very landlocked <laughs> areas. Um, so, um, so yeah, anyway. Um, but, uh, but yeah, look, I think um, I think that move from Scott Moe is just masterful. Um, it, uh, it's a, it's a great piece of political communication. I think it's actually good policy as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but I, I think you're, you're setting up a very interesting legal challenge there. One that I'm I'm quite sure a federal court will find a way to make you lose, um, but uh, but uh, yeah, but after after giving them a taste of what it means to live under the new rules, which right. I think, uh, you know, because the, the the court system moves slowly, um, and so I it's it's kind of like this, that's the thing that I think. Conservatives need to try more of because liberals get away with it so often. They'll put things out there that they know a court's going to shoot down and then they will make it happen for a short period of time, just long enough to benefit their friends and, and voters. And, um, and then 
then maybe a court strikes it down, maybe they don't. But um, well, I think conservatives I need to use that strategy more often. What Biden did with the student loan. Uh, yeah. Which, man, I didn't move fast enough on that one. Dang it. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the interesting, the interesting part of this is, um, is that um, it, it seems like this has actually lifted, has actually lifted the liberals a little. But this is only because they were in such an abysmal spot <laughs> before this. So that that literally just quadrupling down on a couple of seats at the expense of having any chance in the rest of the country could actually be beneficial to them. Um, uh, and, uh, and so uh, the current um, the current projection from 338 Canada is that the uh, is that the conservatives will take merely 40% of the five-way vote, uh, six-way, sorry, six-way vote. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, which is down from 44% of the six-way vote. <laughs> um, and that the conservatives will merely take 205 seats. Um, and, uh, when you only need 170 for a majority, uh, and the uh, the liberals have edged up to winning 83 seats, so they're um, they're only getting creamed in most of Canada instead of all of Canada now, uh, basically. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, um, I it is. It is interesting in the very narrowest sense, this obviously political move that was hatched in a in a political war room somewhere kind of sort of worked. Um, but ultimately, I think at the expense of them having any chance of recovering much ground anywhere else. Um, and actually, so I'm looking... <laughs> I'm looking at the map and boy, has it not gotten that much better. The map, when you, when you actually look at the map, it just really hasn't gotten that much better for them. Um, our, our, sorry. Um, yeah. said so 338canada.com. Yeah. Slash map. Okay. Um, Never mind. Internal server error. I blew it. Oh, do you want me to <laughs> drop you a link? Oh no, it's fine. Uh, it's all good. Okay. Um. Anyway, I've zo I've zoomed into Atlantic Canada here. Um. And I mean, it looks like it saved a couple seats for them. And. Uh, that's PEI, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, 
So, yeah, it looks like it saved a couple seats for them, but um, but really um, really hasn't moved hasn't moved the needle very much. And I think um, I think even if this policy benefits you, you see the desperation, right? And you and you know, like you know, that under the right circumstances, that desperation can turn on you. <laughs> um, if uh, if 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 you're the one that's expendable next time, um, so uh, so yeah, I think uh, um, I think I think I think it's very likely not even going to result in the bounce that they were hoping for, but I think it was so myopic. They were so, they were so trained in on, okay, what can we do to win these uh, seat rich, people poor <laughs> areas of the country um, and, uh, and totally missed the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, not so much. I, I kind of could tell also one of the things that I noticed on that um, other thing where we were looking at. Um, sorry, let me put myself back on the screen. Um, that other that picture that's that, that you had sent me. Sorry, I'm going to pull it back up if I find it again. I guess I, I noticed that um, British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec not really well supported by this heating oil no um definitely not thing either like those are those are provinces that don't even have uh based conservative gov uh premiers who are going to interpose on their behalf like they're just they're kind of just going to bear the brunt of it yeah. and and they get no Ontario benefit from it conservative yeah premier. yeah i mean you know really Quebec's premier is probably more conservative than Ontario's in any meaningful sense. Uh, sure. And Quebec, Quebec's premier doesn't bother to call himself a conservative. Uh, yeah. Although, actually, I don't, I, as we've said, I parlez-vous not at all. Um, and, and so I don't know, uh, actually, the C in CAC might actually be conservative. I don't remember. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 it's considered a, a right-wing government. So, uh but Quebec is okay. Right wing in Quebec is a completely different thing than right wing anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, um. Yeah. Yeah. But like. But you know what I'm saying. Like. I guess. Like. Those are three areas. But but federally, liberals carry those two of the, two of those three areas, right? Uh, federally, British Columbia liberals usually usually carry. Uh, I mean, well, when they win, uh, they carry Ontario and Quebec, and that's that's how they win. They win the most populous, the two most populous yeah. provinces, and the whole shooting match is usually done before we finish yeah. voting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, they're gambling big on areas that can't help them much, and yes, they're not going to gain in the places that could help them. Like, you kind of think they have to fold on this, don't they? 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, I mean, does it just get even worse if they, if they admit defeat on this? I don't know. Um, because then, then do they look even more nakedly political? Um, but I do think, I do think this is the beginning of the end for the carbon tax. I just think it's just such an obvious, it's just such an obvious, it's just so obviously politics and not science or climate or economics. (laughs) Uh, that, that I think, I think it's the beginning of the end for, for the carbon tax. For one thing, I think it got a lot harder for Pierre Polyev to win and not fully get rid of it, <laughs> uh, which was part of how one of the, one of the ways it might survive is that Polyev might win and, uh, say he's getting rid of the carbon tax and say, oh, it's just a tax on large emitters or something. Uh, you know, big big industrial uh, uh, big industrial emitters or whatever. Um, but really, ultimately, as it works its way through the economy, it turns out being about the same thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, because because those big industrial emitters are power producers and and oil and gas producers, which affect the price of everything. Um, that's um, that's the that's the kind of way that I was I was thinking um, that Pierre might might win and still retain essentially the carbon tax. I think that just got harder. Um, because the carbon tax is is even more just um, uh, a Potemkin tax uh, than it was than it was before. So, um, but. Um, yeah. So, but but yeah. I mean, they they could end up backtracking on this, um, in the sense that they could end up they could end up saying, "Oh, we heard the feedback from Canadians, and we're also going to exempt natural gas, which is what everyone else yeah. uses, basically." Yeah. Um. But. Uh, and and they they could end up doing that, in which case, um, although although the the plan of we're going to give you a break for three years and let you replace it with a heat pump doesn't work in many of the same places <laughs> that they're um, uh, uh, in 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 the uh, in the places that primarily use natural gas you also can't use heat pumps um reliably so uh so yeah that's yeah um that's the other um that's the other issue with 
uh, with that approach. And I don't even know, I don't even know what the greenhouse gas emission savings is between natural gas and a heat pump. It's still, I think it would still be, it would still be a savings. Um, as heat pumps are extremely efficient um, in one sense. It, um, so uh, it would still be a savings, but I'm not sure if that, if that savings is worth quite as much in the context of switching from natural gas to a heat pump as it is in switching from home heating oil to a heat pump. So like I can see the addled logic that got them here is the thing. And it makes it, it, it makes it hard to see a way out. <laughs> um, but uh, they might, they might have to try. Uh, especially if it does start hurting them in Ontario and Quebec. Totally. Um, I, I do. Patrick is in the chat asking this question and I didn't know. Uh, I, I don't think I get the reference. It says also, Jeff, uh, could, can you tell your prime minister not to call for a ceasefire in a war zone and really do a poor job and stumbling that cover up? Papa Biden didn't give him permission to be radical like that. Something happened. Did did uh, uh, yeah. did Trudeau he, go off script? Well, he did. He did. Uh, um, he did call for a ceasefire in in Gaza. Um, I'm not sure I get the second part of that question. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, he did. He did call for a a, a ceasefire in in Gaza, which is definitely. Take, it's putting him in line with more some of the more um, internationalist uh, European countries, but out of line with the United States. Yeah, and of course, um, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't buck the trend when when the U.S. decides it's time for war. It's time for war, and by U.S. I mean Israel. <laughs> um. <laughs> I know. I promised you I wouldn't talk about this. I'm, I'm trying to be so good for Jeff and not talk about Israel, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, while we're talking about the political coalitions that the liberals are depending on, though, um, one thing that I that I've actually learned in the in the last uh, month, I suppose, is that um, uh, the Jewish community in Canada actually already votes conservative at a much higher rate than they do in the US. Um, which is interesting because I was working under the assumption. Sorry, sorry, can you say that again? I had a link. Um, oh, no, sorry. that's fine. He, say that again. The Jewish community in Canada already votes conservative at a much higher rate than the Jewish community in the United States. Hmm. Um, it's not hard. Which, you, yeah. Which was which was a little surprising to me only because uh, my assumption was that they are the, they are more secular than the Jewish community in the United States and, and highly religious Jews in the U S are much more likely to vote for Republicans. Yeah. 
And there aren't as many of them. Uh, right. The right. But I, my, my sense, at least, is that uh, that there are even fewer of them in Canada. Um, so, so that's interesting to me is, um, uh, that they've already been a strong conservative coalition in Canada and the Muslims have historically been a strong liberal coalition in Canada. That's not particularly likely to repeat itself in this election because they're so mad about the sex and gender stuff. Um, so, so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. And they, I mean, um, they're also not going to go, uh, they're also not going to go back to Trudeau over the Israel Palestine stuff because, um, because Trudeau has for the most part been very, very much rhetorically on the side of Israel um, and, and trying to align himself with his allies uh, on that, on that subject. Um, his allies other than Turkey, I suppose. <laughs> um, but, um, but the, uh, uh, so and uh, and yeah, the Muslim community really doesn't have such an easy place to go because uh, uh, because if if this is if if they're voting on this, then they can really only go to the New Democrats or the Greens, and they're not leftists actually. They they're. Um, uh, and and uh, they're they they consider themselves fiscally conservative and and all that kind of thing and they're they're obviously quite socially conservative so um you know the liberal the liberals were uh not not as Bolshevik as the NDP or the Greens which made them a lot easier uh, for them to build support around, especially when the conservatives were perceived as being um, especially supportive of Israel and especially not particularly keen about Muslim immigration. Um, and at certain points, not even particularly strong on uh, Muslim freedom of worship uh, or Worship is the wrong word, but Muslim freedom of religion. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, so it makes sense to me that the liberals in, in 2005 were able to build a, a strong coalition in the Muslim community, winning over 95% of that vote. Um, but I don't think that's recoverable no matter what they do now because of the sex and gender stuff, because, because of the frustrations around the economy, 
Um, and because Trudeau has been so rhetorically supportive of Israel, with the exception of uh, odd state, uh, you know, uh, one-off statements here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, <clears throat> um, but, um, but yeah, the the liberals have historically. Uh, balanced that and and have struck that note of uh, we're neutral. We're we've got we're a peacekeeping nation. We have a history of peacekeeping missions, and uh, and we're 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 going to be an honest arbiter between uh, Israel and Palestine um, and all that. But. Um, I think the international reaction to October seventh um, took their typical <laughs> uh, their typical uh, even handedness uh, instinct off the table, and I think they I, they they did wait a little bit to make a statement, and I think I think one of the reasons was they just waited just a little bit to see what other Canadian politicians who tried to do the both sides of, <laughs> on this, how, what the reaction to them would be. And it was swift and fierce and overwhelming <laughs> against uh, any any so-called both sides in uh, type statements. And so I think they just decided that they had to bite the bullet and, and uh, and go that direction, but it it um, it puts them in a an interesting place electorally, where they're they're not they're they're pretty unlikely to win over Jewish supporters, especially when they go off script and call for a ceasefire and and stuff like that. Um, but they're also uh, they're also pretty unlikely to win back their Muslim support. So uh so it's just it's just 15 ways of pain for them <laughs> at the moment, as many things have become. <laughs> um this is this is this is what the 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 end of a government often looks like in a Westminster system where where especially in Westminster systems we don't we don't really vote people in. We we just vote the old guys out. Um, <laughs> And uh, and this is, this is this is this is what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think we're getting to the end of our of our time. Um, uh, went a little bit long. Yeah. Um, and only uh, on one topic, really. Although on we, the one topic, I think we uh, I think we ended up. Uh, allowing in some extra topics in that one topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it went a little long because, you know, uh, as, as always, as, as is often the case, you know, Jeff Park had things to say. I have things to say. Yeah. I have things to say. And, and, uh, but, <laughs> um, and, and everyone in, in the show just saw the video, the video. Cause I had it up. I forgot that I had it in my, oh. my, my, so I have to bring it back. Uh, and, um, 
I think now is the time where we're going to go to Drosselmeyer, Dance of the Nutcracker. So that's where we're going to go right now. Here we go. Dance of the Nutcracker. We're, we're, we're in it. We're doing three chapters tonight because, frankly, I couldn't stop. While, while preparing for, for the show, while reading, I couldn't stop at 19. I had to keep going. Um, it took everything in me not to keep going into 21. This is just, it's, it, we're hitting, we're getting up to it, and it's like, I'm getting to the point where, like, I can see where he's going, you know? Yeah. And, and so, like, I kind of want to get there. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, we, we, get, we get into, ch so Chapter 18 picks up. And uh, at the end of chapter 17, he had been talking to his brother, uh, um, you know, France turned Alex, I forget his old last name, but now Alex Stahlbaum, because he's, yeah. uh, you know, he's escaped, uh, well, his, his father, of course, died at the end of yeah. the last book. Was, was it Androyevich? Andro yeah, Andoyevich. Andoyevich, yeah. Andoyevich. And he died uh, in the last book. And, um, and of course, Drosselmeyer kind of dumped him in the middle of the sea. So, <laughs> so uh, he uh, was presumed dead, came back, and that was kind of best for him because then he could kind of start a new life, which he still ended up in the army. But since he had experience there, he climbed the ranks very quickly, became a general, um, got his old house back, and now has... Um, a lovely wife and lovely children, and it's kind of nice little uh, yeah. Um, but but like, but he he had he had made a comment about how he was hoping Drosselmeyer would would kind of fix the czar's uh desire for war, and you know had had made the phrase "your lips to the czar's ears" about it. And um, Drosselmeyer knew it was a hint and followed that hint by going to, by traveling to the Tsar's, um, the Tsar's palace. Um, once he gets there, he finds that um, uh, Niklaus, his old, uh, his old enemy from grade school, um, Uh, well, okay. Oh, first, first I, he, he had, he, there's this little line in there. He says, um, he said he would visit the czar. No fighting. He told himself just questions. And I wrote in the margins, LOL. Sure. Um, yeah. but he goes there and he finds that Nicklaus has got his groove back a little bit. He's not, um, the cowering little pansy that he found at, um, in the last, in, um, in the last book, um, which makes sense. Uh, he's no longer being ruled by Lenyumor. Uh, and, but he, um, but while he seems a little bit, um, while he seems a little bit surprised, he doesn't seem overly worried, which is kind of our first hint that something is maybe about to go wrong. Um, sorry, I'm just realizing that like my book is way off screen. I need to move over. All right. Uh, 
my my slightly off-centeredness was fine for for other things but not for showing that i'm reading a book um <laughs> but then um but of course yeah we we uh we find out um yeah like he says like after a while he says um you know fritz uh is getting angry at him and then he says, yes, one snap of your finger and you could kill me. Niklaus walked toward Fritz in slow, confident steps. Ask yourself why I'm not scared that will happen. Uh, and by the way, at some point, this is an important detail. He was looking into a mirror as part of this conversation. Um, but then uh, he says, I'm not scared because in a snap of my finger, you would die too. He held up a hand, fingers poised to snap, but not immediately. I don't want you to die too quickly. I want you to suffer for my own, for my own enjoyment. The clouds snapped and Fritz heard a chuckle behind him. The hair on his neck stood up. Malregent loomed behind him, large and sneering. The king of Delisia hurled a bolt of magic. So, Niklaus got himself a new wizard. <laughs> yes. Um... And of course, you know, that's one of the questions. Mal Regent joined him in this world. Where has he been? Well, you know, and, and I'll honestly, you got to put together a little bit of the timeline here. Like, um, Drosselmeyer has been working a little slowly since coming back. He's been kind of getting, uh, re acclimated to his world. Um, and so Mal Regent's had plenty of time to figure out who's in charge, uh, to make a deal with them. <laughs> And to find, to put himself into a position of power, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. Once again, Fritz tries to, to, uh, tries to defend himself, but, but finds that Malregion's magic just massively overpowers him. Um, uh, <laughs> And, and he's somewhat amused by even the way of, of doing magic in this world, the way that, that uh, Fritz is, you know, having to use these swirling runes in the air. Uh, and, um, yeah, yeah. And basically, it just shows how outmatched Fritz is to, to Mal Regent. Um, but... Um, What, what is it? Yeah. Um, Niklaus makes the comment about how, you know, uh, how Regent is just making him look stupid. Uh, for, Niklaus tries to, t says, tries to introduce them, but then Mal Regent says, we've met in my world. And then Niklaus mumbles, interesting. Drosselmeyer is a powerful wizard in our world. Obviously nothing compared to you, but he used to be impressive. Um, and then, uh, what was it? And then, and then, um, and then he makes a comment about his medallions and, uh, and he, the, they note the small speck of gold around Malregion's neck was glowing brightly and twisting strands of magic emanated from the jewelry and sparkling flares. So again, remembered, reminded he was taking all the gold from Grosselmeyer's world and turning it into Watcher's gold, which could have magical properties. Um, 
but he he um he looks at um the medallion and he says so if i take away your medallion i take away your power um and and fritz even though it's not true he does he says yes because he hears baroda's voice saying do whatever you can to whatever it takes to live a few minutes more um and so malregent uh pulls the medallion off him uh, and this is where it gets interesting this is where I think one of our, our theories is coming to true. Um, he says, where did you get these? Malregent demanded. His face was white and his hands shook. He shouted the question, the question again, and Fritz turned his face away from the flying spittle. Who cares? Niklaus waved him off. Take the medallions and kill him. Or kill him and take the medallions. I don't care. Malregent ripped the medallions from Fritz's neck and charged at Niklaus. There are six of these. Malregent screamed, taking the knife in, in the czar, shaking the knife in the czar's face. He separated the discs, fanning them out in his hand. Where are the other four? And, and I made note of that, and I said, how does he know? Right? Like, how did he know that there's six discs? Right. Um, I think we were right. I think this is yeah. the medallion that he made. I think the watchers or the, the, the wizards have been using um, Malregent's medallion that he had made that he was trying to use to uh, um, that he was, he was going to use to try and what did he say that he was going to use to try and wasn't he going to use it to travel between worlds? I forget that uh, what he was using it, what he wanted to use it for, or he was going to use it to, kill the watcher i don't remember um but i i just remember here yeah i just i think i think it was his i think it was his medallion that the wizards took and it was somehow they, they took it and divided it into six discs so that's the other question mm -hmm. though i though i had I had kind of pondered maybe that they had taken the one disc and turned it into six somehow but it seems like malregent made it and it was always always six discs um but he would for whatever reasons made the, the one into six discs and um and it must have been that the wizards council or the original probably the original wizards council took the six discs and divided it amongst themselves uh to aid their power um or something like that um but uh yeah while while he's he's turns his attention back to Niklaus, um fritz uh uses his magic to, to travel away and um and yeah he's he's back at the uh he, he goes to the first house that they lived in the one that got um burned down right. um yeah and uh um and then that brings us to chapter 19 um Uh, he goes back to the toy maker. I I'm just, I'm, I'm just adding details along the way. Like you, know, I'm, I'm just the details that I'm noting are the ones that I think are working up to something, but he goes back to the toy maker and she makes a comment that the toy maker is delivering another nutcracker any day now. So I've got some nuts. So the toy maker is coming. Hopefully this means we're about to meet the toy maker. Um, by this point, I have a bunch of theories. 
as to who it could be. Um, I, I, my favorite is still that it is Dolph. Yes, that's the one. That's the one major one. The one that I'm like, I think that I think that's it. I think it has to be Dolph. Um, yeah. Um, but of course, what he actually wants is you know a way to uh, he needs some thread and a needle to um fix his his what was it again his. So, sorry, the one problem with this theory is. She doesn't seem to think <laughs> that it's odd that the toy maker is a toy. Um, uh-huh. She's not remarking upon it if that is the case. So that that is a point against this theory at this point. Here's the here's the theory that I have. So there's another character we're forgetting about, and this was something that was occurring to me at this point. Is that okay? She knows who the toy maker is. We're forgetting about Toby. I think Doll and yeah. Toby are working together. Doll is the toy maker, but Toby okay. is kind of the toy maker. That's Doll is Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know, like, Doll is making the toys, but Toby is selling it on his behalf. That's what I think is going on. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's that's my okay. run. That's my working theory right now. Uh, okay. We'll see. Uh, I may be dead wrong about that. Uh. But then, then she kind of brings him back. So she's got a secret hidden part of her story, her store in the back that she brings him to. Uh, yeah, and, and which is interesting. Um, it's a way of her keeping her goods um, from, from the, uh, the, the palace guards coming and taxing her best in, inventory. And of course, as we all know, taxation is theft. So... Um. Uh, in this case, a little more uh, directly, <laughs> even more directly. <laughs> yes. Um. But uh, but obviously she, you know, she's a little bit. She's like walking this line. If she wants to criticize the czar, like they kind of start sneaking out, and yet she keeps stopping herself from fully getting there, which is, I think, fascinating. Um. But um, they do find out that um, that she, she learns from a customer, which she attends to while Russell Meyer is there, that the soldiers have been ordered out again to go to go uh, fight again, which they thought they had more time. And um, but but um, yeah, he's gonna take the soldiers and go attack the Southern Kingdom, um, probably because he's got the watcher he's got the malregent now and he's he knows he can overpower them um i'm not totally clear on the malregent's motivation here i know why he wants to yeah. kill fritz that that's simple enough i i think malregent i think when it, when it, um he's just kind of a power for power's sake kind of guy. I think that's kind of the thing is, you know, one of the things that we we've learned about him so far in this book is that he just demands to be revered and worshiped. Like he, he really does. Um, he's, he really is a satanic character in that way of, of like imitating God and wanting the worship that God alone is given. And so he wants what the watcher gets. He wants to be treated as God. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be revered. He wants to be honored. And so I think it's just as simple as 
I want to take over. The Central Kingdom's the best way to take over quickly. And then ever and then I'm a god again. <laughs> you know? So Nick Nicholas is just being extremely stupid here. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Which not realizing not out of character. Is, <laughs> he is yeah. But then he is totes dead. Yeah. Uh, as soon as as oh, soon yeah. as the other kingdoms are defeated. Well that's the thing is he's right he's right back to where he was with the with the the Lenyamore, right? He's right back to being well, a puppet king hiding away in the corner of the castle, but thinking has never been to Klaus's strong suit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And as we're, uh, yeah, just cause we've already hinted at it and, and, uh, and it's relevant to this part of the conversation. Like, oh, you want me to use the exact same mirror that was used to uh, for the Lenyamor to control me? The Lenyamor you made and and uh, uh, and completely dominated me. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not right. a. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um. But but um. So then the next place he goes, he goes to um, goes back to um the Stahlbaum residence. Stahlbaum residence. Actually, I don't know if there's an SH. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really know Russian very well. Is it a Stahlbaum? A Stahlbaum? Maybe our, maybe our, our resident writer you, will watch this and tell us. How do you read your checks if you, if you don't? <laughs> I just, I just looked for the signature, really. <laughs> um, you know, as long, as long as, uh, you know, as long as, as, long as Putin as gets the kick. At the bottom here. Yeah. yeah. As, long, <laughs> as long as it says, yeah, Putin at the bottom, uh, pay to the order of Josh, a.k.a. Iowa and Cap. This is what he writes. Um, uh, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, you know, I, I, you know, just the cash, whatever. Obviously, I live in such decadent luxury. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he goes back to the Stahlbaum residence and... Um, Alex isn't there because he's been called back to the palace, which isn't surprising. Um, um, but of course, just as but but just as Drosselmeyer arrives, he does come back. Um, and uh, um, what was it? Um, he you know he breaks the news to his wife. Um, and then uh. Yeah, then then Fritz then after the wife his wife is go- and kids have gone, um, Franz tells him about he says he chose an officer at random and killed him like that. Flipped he flipped his hand in the air as if he were no more than a bug on the floor, and um, so he basically showed his power, and they said we're going to attack the Southern Kingdom on Christmas Eve. My regent told us he's going to slaughter every soldier on the field. He's promised to save King Richard for last and to make it humiliating. Fritz sat down opposite his brother. Sounds like he's introducing the right of humiliation here. Will you fight? Will you fight with them? Can hardly say no now. Franz explained. The slightest hesitancy can look like could look like sedition to the Czar, and he's killed people for less. I can't risk my wife and children. And so, 
things look bad. And of course he's going to do it on a religious day on Christmas Eve, which, which I think that's always a, a very bad sign when, when people are willing to do that. Um, just going to casually mention that George Washington attacked the British on Christmas day. And, and it's all, it's, I just, I always, I, I remember like when I was a kid, it was always in, it was introduced and like, see how brilliant he was like also kind of. And I remember even as a, uh, like I was a, a stupid middle schooler, but I remember even them being like also kind of blasphemous, right? Sure. Like, do we not have a problem with that? Anyway, I, I know George Washington is like the good president that none of us are supposed to question, but I don't know. Just going to say, um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, he was a hothead that basically single-handedly started the, what, what sometimes called the first world war, the, the, uh, what, what, uh, uh, I think Americans call the French and Indian war. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, like that was largely started by George Washington being kind of stupid. <laughs> so, so, um, I cannot anyway. tell a lie except for that story. <laughs> that story is a lie. Anyway, going on, yeah. uh, <laughs> back to the book though. Uh, we forgot, we forgot which part of the show we're in again. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I was just going to say, uh, just, you know, with, with no hint of foreshadowing at all, um, that Franz is, of course, not going to do anything that might possibly look like sedition to the czar. That's just not something yep. he's willing to do. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Franz, Fritz and Franz are kind of like, things have gone from bad to worse. Cause, and of course he, he does even mention that, you know, he's talking about, um, Franz is like hoping that Fritz can, uh, like he says, you know, um, what is it? You know, Fritz, of course, he, he, now that he no longer has his medallions, the almost limitless store of energy that he has to cast magic, like he can still cast all the magic, but the almost limitless store of energy that he had before is gone. Um, he no longer, like you think about it, like one of the things that Franz had going for him was his resources. Well, the infinity rooms are gone. His fault. <laughs> Betty wishes he hadn't done that now. Um, and yeah. also his uh, his energy store in the medallions. Um, because of the the years of time he spent away, a lot of his human resources are gone. You know, like like fr- like um, you know, uh, the Dresden Files books that I like to read. One of the things they talk about is um is that wizards are not actually uh all powerful beings what they are is if they've got enough prep time they can beat anyone that's his big thing if they have enough information and prep time they can beat anyone and that's really what a wizard is well fritz has no prep time they're gone on christmas on christmas eve or the day before you know and so he's got no prep time and, Which sounds like it's nine days away if I'm Yeah, yeah. It. And no no resources. You know, and and he talks about how like you know, yeah, if he wants to what is it? Um 
Fritz fought back his temper. I'm the only one. Per- I'm only one person, Franz. I have limits. Yes, there are other medallions, but I don't know where they are. It seems I've been gone for a couple decades. I'm sorry, Franz started, but Fritz continued ignoring his apology. I would need to get all six medallions to stand a chance, but three of them are missing. Two of them are in Mel Regent's possessions, and the last one is stuck inside the Celestine with my friends. A Celestine, which, by the way, I also can't find. And uh, he says, Drosselmeyer, Fritz, I'm sorry. Franz tried to apologize again, but his pleas were drowned out by an older brother's tirade. And what's more, Franz, I I know... I now know how to save my friends, but I don't have even but I don't have the power to do it even if I can find the Celestine. Who's Franz? Fritz and Franz jumped up quickly, knocking their chairs back a few inches. Clara stood in the doorway. The light from the fire danced off her chiffon robe. Dad, why is Mr. Drosselmeyer calling you Franz? <laughs> and um <laughs> that was an interesting uh moment, but um Yeah. But Clara's this is interesting. Clara interrupts. And this is this is masterful storytelling too by the way. He's talking about how much he can't do, how powerless he is. And then here comes Clara. And uh Clara insists on speaking to Drosselmeyer alone. And um and and uh what is it she says? She says um um Mr. Drosselmeyer, Clara announced. So after Franz, or Alex leaves, I have a confession to make. Fritz repressed a smile, then motioned for his niece to continue. I was listening at the door for a while, she said. Fritz's smile faded. I heard my father reference your power, then I heard you talk about... She struggled with the next word. Her bravado waned. About what, Clara? Fritz asked. About magic, she finished. Um, (laughs) And, uh... So basically, so so she's she's kind of she demands he tell her more about it, but and but Fritz is is hesitant, um, because that's one of the unwritten slash kind of written rules of wizarding is you don't tell you tell as few people as possible about your ability to wizard, um, but then Clara she swipes her hand and a silver candelabra on the mantle lurched from its spot and clattered on the marble floor, um. Because she had said, you can do magic, can't you? Well, I can too, Mr. Drosselmeyer. And, and again, we saw this coming, of course, because we've talked about how, you know, the magically things appearing in her hand that she thought maybe the rats were bringing to her. Well, it turns out that she's traveling things, you know? Um, but then Fritz flinched at the noise. He blinked on his magic vision and hissed, do it again. Clara waved her hand and knocked over the second candelabra. Fritz inhaled and held his breath. A wave of colorful magic shot from her fingers in sparkling, wispy strands of energy. Though not as voluminous, it was the same as Malregent's. So this is this is this is the moment, right? This is the big thing, the turning point. The she, you know, one of the things that he's been saying. He needs to have someone. You know, we're bringing together all these things. He needs to send someone into the Celestine in order to bring back his friends. Right. Well, of course, we know all about that from the, you know, from from the rumored to be pretty good sequel to this book. Um, uh, often danced. And um, we know 
now and, and we know that he is he can't do it he's he doesn't have the resources to do it the best he can do is send someone in and pull them out which he needs more power for that too um but and we also have that little phrase that's been hanging around the edges of this book ever since the beginning a little girl with a knife could kill a wizard uh if he's unprepared and yeah well, and that, that phrase is coming, is being repeated in one of these chapters. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Now I forgot exactly where it is. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, it must be in chapter 20. Yes, yeah, in chapter 20. Um, but, and Toby also comes up in chapter 19. Um, that's why I started thinking about Toby's because he said oh, right. he actually asked um, Alex to look for Toby. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway. Um, uh, and then there's a nice little moment at the end of chapter 19 where, you know, Drosselmeyer extends his hand to shake his brother's hand. And Franz steps past it and gives him a hug. Um, so that's I, I I'm enjoying these returned to just because the set, it was so hard to see uh, Franz so really virulently angry at his brother in the last book, and so it's, it's nice having these little moments yeah. of tender kindness. Um, but Drosselmeyer, the next thing he does, he try he heads uh, he travels to the south. Cause he's got to warn Edward about the oncoming, uh, about the attack. Not that it'll do him much good because even without the element of surprise, he notes our regent has the power to overwhelm this whole army by himself. Um, and then, yeah, that's in chapter, chapter 20. He says, Fritz chuckled in a short, ironic laugh. Baroda used to say a small girl with a knife could kill a wizard if he's not prepared, but I don't think he knew about Malregent. Well, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, they, they get... Um, what is it? Oh, 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 and that's one of the things that Fritz does. He finally shows her... <coughs> he finally shows his good friend that um, his, his magical powers... Um, or no, wait, he did that in a previous chapter, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did that in a previous chapter. Now, by now, he knows. Right. Um, let's see. See, 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 see. Um, he, and he tries to convince Edward to flee. Um, but Edward, of course, he's, he's, he's too loyal to his, to his, soldiers and he refuses to leave them behind but he does ask him to, to send Eleanor away and to, to hide him um, and then of course he says of course Fritz burst out why hadn't he thought of that with Franz Katarina and his nibblings I love that how often but this is just a side thing um, Paul Thompson loves that word nibblings uh, for, for nieces and nephews um, and I love it oh, right. he, he uses it all the time um, just, just in case, you, if you're ever talking to him, he will tell you about his nibblings. Um, 
just a little uniqueness of him. Um, so, so they do kind of, um, what is it? Yeah, yeah, they do the only thing they really can do at this point, which is get rip roaring drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but they have a few drunken uh, uh, what it call what do they call them? Drunken uh, oh shoot, what's the word? Um, where you suddenly realize something in a drunken state. Uh, epiphanies, drunken epiphanies. Yes, that's the word. Yeah. Um, I can hear you about to say it. Your thought prompted my thinking. Um, you couldn't hear me actually saying it three seconds before that, but, Oh, did you? Oh, sorry. Yes. I, didn't hear that. No, I didn't hear you. Um, but that was, but, but then Edward asks, how do you suppose Malregent knew you were the czar? And then Fritz exhaled, uh, you know, because they're smoking a pipe. He says, good question. I don't know. And then he suddenly exclaims, it was the mirror. Niklaus picked up a mirror and, and smoothed his head, his head. It was such a vain move. I just assumed he kept it there to look at himself, but that's how the old czar used to communicate with Baroda through that very mirror. And so, um, so he's not omnipotent. That's a good, that's good fortune. Edward droned on. How is that good fortune? Fritz lolled his head to the side. That means he can be tricked. Uh, we have a story here in the Southern Kingdom about a chicken that convinces a fox to go into a hen house, promising the fox that there are fatter hens to be had there. The fox goes in, and the chicken slams the door shut and sets the coop on fire, and suddenly I'm realizing this is how he's going to beat him, isn't it? Now Regent showed him the way to beat him. You put him in a lower Celestine, mm. and then break the Celestine. Right. I'm suddenly realizing that this, this is foreshadowed. Like this is going to be the way he kills him. Isn't it? Mm. He's going to create Fritz has got to, got to create a new Celestine, send Malregion into it. And it makes you wonder like, does he have the time or is he going to double use? Maybe he's got a double plan now. So hold on. I'm going to spit a theory here. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Hold me to tell me from check. Check me if I'm wrong. Check me if I'm right, because then I'm prophetic. He's going to send Clara into the Celestine, pull out his friends, leave Farouk in there, send Malregent into the Celestine, break the Celestine, kill them both. Okay. I think that's the move. Old prediction. But first, Clara has to get the has to get the char the the uh wizard's charm from Farouk. So that's why he needs to that that that's what leads to the the dance itself, the fight with the rat king. Otherwise they could just avoid the rat king, right? They could just go in, right. get the friends, get out. But he's gonna need that um medallion in order to have the power to overpower him and send him into the Celestine. I think that's it. I think that's it. I, f I think that's the move. That's my bold prediction. I think that's what's going to happen is they're going to, after the rescue mission to bring them out, he's going to try and send Malregent in, kill Farouk and Malregent in one fell swoop of destroying the Celestine. That's my bold prediction. 
And if I'm right, I am I am heroic and predict and prophetic. If I'm wrong, eh, whatever. I still do this for free. Um, <laughs> uh, well then, okay, then this is fun. Um, he travels in a- after talking to him. Um, after talking to Edward, he heads back to the Stallbound Mansion because he's going to offer to send away Alex's family. Um, and he catches um, Clara listening at the keyhole of the den to her, her parents talking. And so then Fritz decides to um, Fritz decides to play a little bit of a trick on her. He waves his hand, and the niece was instantly on the front porch, key to the large oak door. It took her a few seconds to register the snow under her feet, slipped uh, her slippered feet, and the texture of oak instead of painted wood. She jumped back from the door with a high-pitched yelp. The front door was locked, and she reached up for the knocker, but stopped. She couldn't escape the cold by knocking on the door without facing some serious questions as to why she was outside. Fritz watched her deliberate from the shadow of the house, his black cloak wrapped around him, obscuring his form. He was about to announce his presence when Clara vanished in a blink. That is huge, right? That is huge because um, it shows that Clara is not only powerful, but much more proficient than a girl her age without any training should have. She right. has mastered traveling without being taught how to travel. Now, Drosselmeyer yep. is skilled, right? Drossel, remember, that's always been a big thing about Drosselmeyer. He learns magic very quickly. He's not that good. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, like, that's a huge moment. It's a, it's a really small moment in the narrative, but it's huge. Right? Absolutely. And we just need to keep an eye on her to make sure that she's not some sort of, uh, oh, Claire Ray Skywalker type situation. Um, no Mary Sue's allowed. <laughs> but no, I don't think I definitely don't think that's what hap- what's happening no. here. She's obviously she's obviously uh, got got flaws and, and yeah. quirks and and um. But but there is something of like, you know, well, of course, being of the bloodline of one of the first generation people out of, you know, she, she is essentially third in the line of, um, you know, her, her grandfather was, of course, the Watcher's right hand man. This is the thing that we're learning. So it makes sense that she would be this powerful. There's there's in I think that's one of the things there's in world explanations for her power that it's not. It is that that's what makes it different from a Mary Sue. A Mary Sue is someone who has no has no flaws whatsoever and can almost miraculously do what do and have whatever skill uh, she needs at that time. Um, it's a different thing. It's a different thing. Um, uh, and it's not forced. It's part of the original story. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, and then Fritz ends up having a really interesting conversation with her um, about her powers. Um, and eventually, and, and actually here, she actually tells him um, that she, he is her uncle. 
And so that's kind of a, right. a, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. And then, and then, um, essentially like, uh, I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to come up with the best way to just summarize the conversation, but essentially, um, Fritz agrees to teach her a little bit about magic. Right. And, um, as long as Clara promises not to tell anyone what she, what he's told her, um, which, yeah, that's, that's, um, he, and then he, then he tells Franz, um, about his conversation with, uh, with Edward and that he's going to, uh, and his offer to, to, to send away his family. Um, and Franz tells him that Fritz, that, that he's, um, he's actually, as you, as you mentioned before, is planning a little bit of a rebellion. And, um, it's hard to see how this would work out. Um, but, um, they're going to try and overthrow him um, before they go to on this trip and, you know, Christmas Eve and, um, and Franz is, and Fritz is worried. Franz is worried. Or Franz is, is, is in over his head. Um, but, but, um, but before they do, they're going to have their party. They're going to try and have the party before they, the soldiers head out they're they're moving it up because they want to make sure that they give them something to celebrate before you know the hard times come and um and of course that should give us those of us who have seen the the nutcracker or know the story should should have uh um that should give us you know a little bit of uh, a foretaste because we know we know what happens if you've seen the Nutcracker at that party, and so we're kind of starting to see how everything's kind of rolling together. This is there's the impetus that he has to act quickly. He needs to, um, yeah, he needs to move quickly. He needs to make things happen. It needs to be. Uh, I mean, it, we, we we can see we haven't figured out yet the in-story reason, but we're seeing how it's moving toward the fact that it has to be Clara. Um, right. There are, it needs to be a rescue mission of Fritz's friends, but also there needs to be that he needs the medallion right. in order to have a chance of stopping Mal Regent, um, and. Uh, and also, um, we're, we're seeing how the party is kind of his last chance. And so something's going to happen at that party. If something's going to happen, it has to happen at that party. And um, we're, we're on a train right now. We can see, you know, it's like, this is what's so fun is at the beginning, it's like, the, okay, it's a story about this character. Okay, cool. All right. This character from within this world. But initially, I remember that first book, there's a lot of like, I'm not exactly sure what all this has to do with the nut, Dance of the Nutcracker. Right. But as we're moving along, we're starting to see more and more. And um, this is really just a show of how great of a storyteller that Paul is, is he's bringing together all of these threads and, and drawing all the stories together and centering it up on that moment of why the party. 
which remember that's why he wrote this in the first place why that party why did Drosselmeyer act the way he did at that party why is he doing what he's doing why does he send a little girl into a, into his world uh, when he's a, a super powerful wizard why 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 of all these things and we're starting to see exactly why um, he's drawing it all together and it's masterful. Um, do you have any theories of anything coming up that you want to share? Um, hmm. So Yeah, I um I am I'm not sure that my uh my joke about the Mel Regent being the Rat King is too far from yeah. being that was a joke when I made it. Uh like so obviously I think he's going to animate a rat king like i don't i don't think it's actually going to be him uh mm. but but i i think that's coming um uh i'm with you i'm with you that uh i i like i like your uh doll is ratatouille and toby um uh and uh yeah it, yeah it's definitely um um it's definitely starting to take shape <laughs> yeah in multiple ways here oh we also got a nod at the uh uh the czar's giant collection of nutcrackers so yeah that's right and <clears throat> I'll be honest. I don't know the reference yet. I don't know what that means yet. That is one of the questions that I'm still asking. I'm still kind of, it's still kind of hanging out there. Um, I think if doll is ratatouille and Toby, as you, as we've, as we've dubbed it, um, that answers one of the questions I've been asking, which is where's doll? What's going on? Where, where, like, why have we just forgotten about doll? Like, it seems like even Fritz has forgotten about him. Um, which I think is probably a, a dramatic for dramatic purposes. Um, but but one of the questions I've got hanging over is like why does the, the czar want all of these these nutcrackers? Like what what in the world possesses him to want these? Um it's a it's an interesting question that I'm I'm hoping that we get an answer to. Um yeah. I'm sure we will. Um I think we can trust the author at this point. Um and if not, I know I, well, I know where he lives. No, I don't know where he lives. I know where he lives on Twitter. Because <laughs> <clears throat> we also wondered this about okay, what's his thing with gold? Um, yep. But that was because he was being manipulated indirectly by the Malregent. Um, but he was obviously doing this before the Malregent showed up. Yep. So was the Malregent manipulating him into this before the Malregent showed up? If so, Seems how? He was, yeah. He was using Lenimores before. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, it's yeah, it's a, uh, and I guess I mean his his Lenyamor slipped out from under his control right before he traveled into this world. So yep. I guess it's still possible that he was using Lenyamor to to control him. Yeah. Uh, although I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The Lenyamor that were in this world before are dead. Yep. So he would have had to send different ones in. Right. Anyway, it's... Yeah. Uh, so uh we're trucking along uh, i think i think it's getting to the point where i really want to read multiple chapters so we're probably gonna plan on three chapters for next week Fair enough. um 21 through 20 21 22 23 and um you know if we don't get it if we don't get them done then we don't get them done we don't read them that's fine uh but yeah make sure you go grab a copy of Dance of the Nutcracker. It really is a great book. You can tell that it's well loved too. Look at the way I'm. I, I've used it. Uh, I, I think I've I've lost all of all of my resale value from the uh, from the the signature. Uh, <laughs> but uh, make sure you grab a copy. You will love it too, and hopefully not beat it up as well as much as I did. Um, but this is. I feel like if we don't say it now, we're never going to say it, but, um, enough preambling. Let's get to the show.